Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and I'm here with my partner, the King of Timonium, Mr. Gary Quill. GQ, how be you? Oh, I'm just terrific, Eric. Everybody else is having fun playing the horses because they took off between holidays and I'm working. So I look forward to the last few days of 2020 as everyone else. And let's get 2021 on the road. Amen to that, brother. Amen. All right. So we have a really long show. We were fortunate enough to have Jason Beam come on with us. Uh, really a, a great guest to have. And I think you'll find the interview entertaining. If you have the ability to stay with us for this long, after Jason's done, we go over the pick five sequence, the late pick five at Gulfstream on Friday on New Year's. I figure a lot of people are off, so maybe playing the races. So that's uh, one reason why the show is really long. But without further ado, I'd like to go to Jason Beam. So GQ, take it away. So, uh, good afternoon. Our special guest is Mr. Jason Beam, a uh, man about the United States and beyond race call. Jason, welcome to our quaint little podcast. I appreciate you guys having me on, Eric and Gary. It's nice to talk to both of you. Hey, it's great. Uh, just, uh, you know, a lot of folks who may not be on Twitter, I know you, you made yourself uh, quite the name years ago when you had the Beamy Awards. Just tell me real quick how that all got started. And earlier, I, I believe this year or last year, you decided that you were going to retire the Beamy Awards. Just give us a little history behind that. Yeah, I um, I just, you know, I, I was on Twitter for a few years. I actually got off of it after I started the Beamies for about a year. So my old account was just my name. Uh, at Jason Beam, and somebody else, by the way, took that, and now there's just a thumbs up sign next to it, and they've never they've never used it or tweeted it, by the way. So whoever has that, uh, if if you want to make a deal, give me give me a call. But uh, yeah, I just um, there was so much ridiculousness on Twitter in general, but racing Twitter has its own quirks, and so I thought it would be funny to do kind of a an award show, but a silly version of one, you know, where it's, you know, best fight and, you know, best humble brag, best hair, and just thought of goofy categories. And um, I actually, at, as when I th first had the idea, I had just taken the job at Louisiana Downs to be the race caller there. So this was December of 2014. And I was starting in January of 2015 at LAD. And um, I remember having the thought, like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Like, these guys will think they hired a goofball, which they did. And, um, but I was like, you know what? No, nah, it'll be fun. I didn't really promote it. I just kind of like said on Twitter, like, hey, I'm going to do an award show. This, you know, we're calling it the Beanies. And there, you know, so there, it was, and I just thought it would be kind of a one-off fun thing. And people really seemed to dig it. And so the next year we did it and it, and it grew an awful lot in terms of reception and, and popularity. And people really got into it. Like, the, you know, they would, you know, it was always on a Friday night. People would take the night off. They would, you know, take pictures of what they were wearing, like it was a red carpet and um, like it trended nationally. The, after the year two, it trended nationally every every year. And I, I always remember the first time it did that, 
it was the same day Rudy Giuliani dropped out of the 2016 election process. So it was the end of 2015. With, with it was Rudy Giuliani. Beamy Awards were like number six and seven at, at eight <laughs> o'clock in the evening, which I always thought was great. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, it was just kind of a fun thing to do. And really, it just got to the point where, I mean, we had sponsorships the last couple of years from, you know, major groups and racing. And it just got to where I didn't think I was going to be able to, it was just going to kind of be derivative and be the same thing again. Right. And from a creative standpoint, I just thought it had kind of run its course. And uh, I always thought Jerry Seinfeld was smart with the, you know, kind of leave when you're, when you're doing okay with something, don't stay at the party too long. And so um, I just thought it was a good time to pull the, pull the plug on it. And, you know, I mean, I still like to do different creative stuff within racing and, you know, make videos or, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And I think I can do that uh, on my own terms or with twin spires. And so I, you know, it's it's just one night of goofiness that won't happen. So so you're proud that you pulled the plug on the Beamy Awards before it could jump the shark, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing was, yeah, it's like, you know, it, I had a lot of people over the years ask me about doing it like as a live show or like a television broadcast. I said it would never work. Like the fun of it is that it's online and everybody can follow, you know, in their pajamas at home. And, and so but I, it would have needed to do more video or more, you know, we had Mattress Mac do a video with us the year before or the last one that, that got such great reception. And I was just thinking like, I don't know how we were going to up that. And yeah, it just, it just, it was, it, you know, it lived a six year life and that was, that's all it needed. And, to live. and it got to the point where people aspired to try to win a beanie versus it yeah. just being bestowed upon them. Which, which I used to tell people like, there's no merit. <laughs> in a Beamy award, like it's not a meritocracy thing. And really what people, what a lot of people didn't get was that it's, it wasn't an award show. It was a comedy show. And to me, I needed to pick awards that I thought would get the biggest laugh, not which were, you know, like the best thing. Um, you know, there's still this guy that like gets mad at me about not winning the best handicapper. I go, there's nothing funny about you winning the best handicapper award. Like that, that wouldn't be funny. Like that funny was always the, you know, the, the derivative, or at least it, it became that. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, but it's what cracks me up is people like, if you look on people's biographies and their Twitter pages, like, you know, reputable people in the industry, they'll say, Oh, I'm the analyst at this major track, you know, mother, father, Beamy award winner. And that always cracks <laughs> and they, me up. But the year that they won the Beamy Oh, well, yeah. The whole shooting. It's funny. Well, well that's great. I'll, I'll... I'm glad that you were able to find that in Twitter since Twitter seems to be the land of haters. You know, all, all it is is people hating on one another. But um, hey, uh, it's, it, you'll go down in Twitter history uh, <laughs> known as the, the person who brought levity to Twitter and the Beamy Awards and everybody involved in horse racing, either as a fan or in the industry, uh, can thank you and look back. So, um, just some general questions for our listeners. Uh, how did you get interested in horse racing? How long, how long ago was that? Uh, my dad was a, a better gambler uh, at Long Acres, which was our track here in the Seattle area where I uh, lived in the wintertime months. And I turned 40 this year. So we're going back to the mid eighties when I, you know, I, I have memories of being five, six, seven, eight, nine, and going to Long Acres. And uh, they used to have this, kind of gazebo area down toward the eighth pole that had a playground. And so I'd go play, uh, you know, on the toys. And then when it was, when I'd hear the call to post, I'd run out and, and watch the race. And so uh, my dad used to play poker against some guys that were trainers and stuff. Cause um, it's a little full circle thing, but my mom owned a poker room for years in Renton, which was like 
a mile from Long Acres. So during the day, all the guys would be at the track. And at night, a lot of the same gamblers and horse people would be at, at her poker room. And so my dad ended up being friends with a lot of the trainers. And so, you know, he got to take me back to the backstretch when I was a little kid. And my favorite horse as a, as a little kid was this horse named Fascal Rascal, which just, I just thought it was a great name. And so, uh, and he was a terrible horse. Like I look back his record, you know, but I just thought it was a cool name when I was five. And so, and I have a picture of me on top of Fasco Rascal holding a whip with the helmet on. Nice. Uh, Mike Chambers, who's still a, a trainer, I think mostly down at Phoenix, but um, he was my dad's poker buddy. So he would take us to the backstretch. And, you know, my dad just, I, the, the one memory I have of that experience is my dad telling me, don't whip the horse. Don't, you know, you can hold <laughs> it, but don't hit the horse. Because, you know, all I wanted to do was give it a crack. But uh, yeah, it was, I mean, I, just going on, I remember going, we'd go Thursday nights and Sundays and my mom would give me 20 bucks. And so I could at $2 a race. And I just, I, I loved it. It was so much fun. And uh, that was kind of me and my dad's uh, bonding as, as, a, as a kid. And so um, as far as getting into the, the business of it, I got away from it because Long Acres closed when I was 12 in, in 1992 and Emerald didn't open for four years after that. So we had kind of a, a down period here in Washington where Yakima Meadows took the the reins of, of being the, uh, the primary thoroughbred track. And so I, you know, I was a teenager then I was playing baseball and, you know, friends and you, you kind of get away from it. And my dad actually got sick in, in 2000. And so when he got sick, I started going with him to the races cause he needed help. You know, he had uh, skin cancer. And so he just needed help getting in and out, but also I wanted to spend time with him. And as he got more sick, I started realizing that it was, you know, really incumbent on spending time with him because he wasn't going to be around much longer. Uh, and after he passed, I just, uh, I, I just kept going as a fan and um, I kind of stumbled into a, a job at Emerald Downs after I graduated. I, I got, uh, they were hiring, I, I, there's a, the best tout name ever is a guy that's, that is a tout at Emerald Downs, Victor the Predictor. <laughs> and uh, I even if Victor, my mom used to advertise on Victor's radio show for her poker room. And so I, I asked her for his contact and I didn't know him. I just said, you know, Hey, Mr. Predictor, I'm a, uh, you know, Jason Beam and uh, I want to, you know, get a job at Emerald Downs. Do you know if they're hiring? And they were hiring for a, a media writer, somebody to write stories for the website about the horse, like do barn notes and stuff. And I was like, well, God, I'd be perfect. For that. I have a degree in sociology and English and, and I love racing. So I went and interviewed and, and, uh, and got the job and that was 04. And that was my first, uh, first gig. Nice. That's yeah. great. Cause you know, I, I'm, I'm always complaining how the horse racing industry is filled with nepotism. You know, <laughs> you can look at any talking head handicapper anywhere or anyone who has, has a job trying to promote the sport uh, employed by the industry. And you can follow the breadcrumbs back to, they have bloodlines that worked in the industry, but it's, it's good to know that uh, you got in through your love of both writing and the horses. Somebody gave you a shot in that avenue. So then take us to the progression of race calling. How, how did that happen? Well, the, uh, the, uh, the media office at Emerald is up on the roof. And, and so I was just a couple of doors down from Robert Geller, who was the longtime caller at Emerald and is now at Woodbine and uh, did Sunland for a lot of years as well. And uh, Robert, if you know him, is, is the sweetest guy in the world. Like he's just, he's just the best guy. And um, I had started, I got, I, I, what I, part of my job was, was the, not placing judge, but I would rattle off to the guy you know five four three two and he would punch in the numbers the running order yeah the running order and so 
I got familiar with watching a race through binoculars. And when we had kind of a three-man media crew, so whenever I had a race off, I would sneak over to the box next to us, the suites, if there was nobody in it, and, and I would practice calling the race it just into a little tape recorder. And so I started doing that a lot um, just there, but then I kind of dropped it for, uh, for a little bit. And then uh, I didn't go back to Emerald that next year. I, I started my illustrious career in real estate after that, um, which I sold one house in a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I made four thousand dollars. I was still I was working for my mom at the poker room too. So I mean I, mean, I had money coming in. But uh, in two thousand five, the summer I was out at the Quarter Shoot Cafe, which is Emerald's great backstretch cafe, and um, it was the Fourth of July, and the American Oaks was early in its career. I think it was only the second or third or fourth year they had it. But there was this great horse named Cesario that won it in uh, in 05. and my favorite race call probably ever. And uh, definitely at the time was Vic Stoffer's call of that race. I watched it in the cafe, the hair on my arm just stood up at how perfectly the emotion he conveyed with what that horse was doing on the track. And I was like, I got to try to do this. Went and bought binoculars the next day and, um, and just started practicing at Emerald. I'd go up to the grandstand. It was kind of getting to be later in the season. And so you could, you know, find some space where you wouldn't annoy everybody and just call into a tape recorder. And so I, uh, I did that for the rest of the meet. I took my tape to Robert Geller and, uh, and said, you know, I've been practicing. I'd love for you to offer some crit critique and, you know, if you have any opinions. And I remember just being terrified. And, you know, Robert, he would never say anything mean to me anyways. <laughs> like, he's just too nice. But uh, he was real supportive. And he just, he told me, he said, you know, you got to, pursue this he goes you you, you have something yeah. and so that that was like you know I'm like this is a real guy that does it and you know I, I would argue that Robert's toward the top of our craft and so to to hear that from him was you know real empowering and so when Portland started that fall because Portland and Emerald used to kind of run on a circuit uh, I, I I worked a connection because the guy who had taken over the media job at Emerald was also a Portland guy and he I told him is there anywhere I can practice and he said you can just go out on the roof here it was kind of a flat old roof and so I would just sit out there I drive down it's two and a half hour drive I drove down every weekend and I would sit and practice uh literally right next to the announcers booth like Mike O'Brien was like six feet away from me and I and could see me looking down he was the race caller at the time there and um after a couple of months of doing that one day Mike O'Brien just randomly said like he goes all right you're gonna do the next race and I was like, what? <laughs> and, you know, no, which looking back was probably a smart move. Cause if I'd have had a night to think about it in the hotel, I would have been scared to death. Uh, and I was scared to death, but uh, yeah, called the race and it went okay. And then two weeks later, they let me call a couple more. And then I'd, like another week or two later, Mike was sick. So I got to do a whole day and um, I really botched the sixth race that day, like beyond bad. And so I went, I went to the TV guys and I said, can you make me a demo tape of just the calls of races one through five? And so, and they did. And so I, uh, I, I got that tape together and I, Vic Stoffer had told me that on a direct message that the uh, Great Lakes Downs and River Downs needed somebody. And so I, uh, I sent that tape to those two places and the guy at River Downs called me, a guy named Brian DeYoung, and he said, yeah, I just want to let you know I got your tape. And he goes, so he goes, uh, the five, he goes, the five races, he goes, are those the only races you've called? And I said, well, I did a couple the week before. I said, but I said, I've only, you know, I said, I've only done like seven or eight races, which the truth was, I really had only done like 10 right. or 12, you know, and so uh, 
he goes, okay, well, we'll get back to you. They called me two weeks later and offered me the job. And, nice. And ha- I mean, halfway through my first summer at River, Michael Portland changed their schedule to a weekday schedule so that the guy couldn't do it. And so I got the Portland job like two, mo- two months into it. I had two jobs, which was amazing. Well, I, I, that's a great story for uh, anyone who follows horse racing. And I know there's a young man. He's on Twitter as well. He's local uh, to me in Maryland. Uh, Thomas Kearney and for years uh, he's he's only in his early 20s but for as long as I've been going to the Laurel uh, racetrack and up in the uh, press box where the chart callers do do their thing he does exactly what you said you did yeah there's this little room that he goes into with his binoculars and he calls the races and and he he's actually pretty good he, he he he's pretty good so i'm sure he has tapes and uh i know he's probably pursuing it and so um hopefully he'll he'll, he'll hear what you had to say and maybe he'll he'll uh he'll get lucky uh, i know um the uh job at uh parks has has recently started up not unless you're interested in in that gig. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny. I got I had a bunch of people email me and ask me, that, you know, are you playing for Parks? And I was like, no, it's just. Yeah. I have a really ideal situation right now for a number of levels, and so I'm just not gonna. I did. I wasn't. I wasn't interested in this particular thing. And you know, I, there's some guys that apply for every job that comes open, and and I'm just. I'm not going to be one of those. I, there, I've had times where I applied for a lot of them when I didn't have a job, but um, yeah, it, it just wasn't the because it's. A number of reasons it wasn't a great fit for me, but uh, but I've heard from other guys who were applying, and you know it's a year-round job, which right. in this business is not you know because I have my year-round podcast, I have kind of the luxury to to pick and choose a little bit better, and so um, I think the you know for a lot of guys that you know the goal is just to get to the is top of level. The weird thing is is that the money doesn't always necessarily get better the higher you are so a lot of times it does but it's there's there's certain jobs that pay really well that you maybe wouldn't think do and then there's ones that you think that do that don't i'm not saying that's what the case with parks because i don't know but um it's a it's kind of a weird thing like i think everybody thinks that it's you know based on like the higher the purse the higher the yeah. announcer pay or, or but and the higher the handle and sometimes it's the case but not always it, yeah. it really does vary and and that that that's where i was going with my next question i mean um you you're almost like on your own little circuit yeah you get it you know there's the fair circuit and it seems Mm -hmm. like there's the jason beam circuit where (laughs) you're at colonial downs and then you're at grants pass and uh you may be uh you know correct me if i'm wrong i how many racetracks have you called races and do you know if uh anyone else has called more tracks than oh, you. there's guys that have called it way more than i have yeah like Vic offers i was jokes that about is he's, true. he's closed more tracks than i've called <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's one of his favorite jokes but now um that is i think true. for me for me it's just that i've called it a lot recently because really for the first 10 years i announced i was only at two places uh at river and portland okay. and so I, I you know i had that kind of circuit for three years and then i was only at portland for six years and so I, I really didn't, I did the moving thing, you know, just once a year and then I was out of it. But what happened was, is I, I did a fill in for Pete Aiello in 2018 at Calder Gulfstream West. And I had been out of announcing for a few years. I was just doing the podcast and I, you know, I'd left Louisiana Downs uh, 
you know, I was really struggling with my mental health at the time. And so, um, you know, I wasn't on anybody's radar, I don't think for, for quite a while because of how Louisiana Downs ended. And so, uh, you know, I, I didn't do any moving around. And then I did that fill in for Pete. And then it just kind of happened that right after that, Frank got the Santa Anita job and needed a fill in at Monmouth. And so, you know, he, they asked him, you know, who are maybe three or four guys we should talk to. And he gave him a list and, uh, and I was fortunate enough to get it. And right after that colonial called, and it just happened that, you know, Monmouth needed me in the spring and the fall. And so I had this chunk of time where I was going to probably just go home and then colonial literally fit right into that. And so uh, I did that and then went back to Calder again. And then by the time I got home, um, with when COVID hit, Monmouth was not going to happen because of everything that was going on there. And they pushed their start back and all that kind of stuff. But um, it so happened that Grants Pass basically runs the exact same schedule of spring and summer, uh, an eight week break, because the Oregon fairs run in the middle of the uh, summer. Okay. And so, you know, Grants Pass had approached me and, you know, they were, I knew a lot of the people that were there and they're really putting, I mean, a lot of effort into making that thing go uh, and money, and which is, which is great. I mean, they're, it's just so inspiring to see a group that is, you know, putting their money where their mouth is about wanting racing to grow and be better. And I mean, they've, they've completely overhauled the place. When I, I went there on a first date uh, back in 2018 and it was a fair plan. I mean, it was all this dust in the middle, the, you know, the cheap, tiny tote board. And when I went back there, uh, after they'd offered me the position to go meet with them, like it, it looked like a real racetrack. And so uh, from a timing perspective and, and everything, and, and just the team there is really cool. So it, it worked out really well. But yeah, I definitely, for a few months there, it's it's a lot of driving. I mean, going back to Colonial, and then to, when we had to cancel early this year, it was like, well, crap, now I gotta just turn back around and go back across the country. Again. But I like that part of it. I, uh, I used to not like it so much, but I, I do now. I like the the travel and the moving around. And like I said, because of having the stability of the podcast, you know, that's my year round job and salary and everything else. So the announcing is just all you know, sugar, sugar on the cake kind of thing. And so um, I can be flexible. I've, I, you know, I, I took a little fill in up in at century mile for a weekend. I can do that little kind of stuff because I'm afforded that by, because of my regular job. Sure. And so, and you know, if I was just doing the announcing thing and it was, you know, it would be a little bit tougher because, you know, you do have to find things to fill your time and money. Yeah. So, so. I, I don't want you to, to burn any bridges as far as your favorite track or whatever, but as a race caller, um, give us uh, your probably uh, what you felt was your maybe best race call or uh, one that just totally fell apart and you couldn't recover from Oh, it. there's a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've had, I had one at Monmouth. It was my second weekend there, I think. And as the last horse was going in the gate, something in my throat just went like I had something from food or a bug or whatever it was, but I'm like, Oh, oh God. And so I hit the off button, tried to cough it out as hard. I mean, it was, and it was, a, of course, it was like a turf route with 11 <laughs> horses. And so, you know, so you, so you're obviously going to have to go a little faster. It's longer the whole nine yards. So they, I, I hit the button, I cough, I drink a thing of water and it's, I can still feel the tickle in there, whatever it is. And I thought it was a bug. Like I, I know Peter Berry's famous for like, he's had that happen like four times during races, but um, 
Yeah. And so they went off and I was like, you know, on the inside and it, it sounds kind of scratchy. And then as they come into the stretch, like it really gets bad. And I'm just like, oh shit. <laughs> so I, I hit the button again, cough as hard as I can, nothing. So I go back to the call it's, and it just sounded so terrible. And so on the back stretch, I, I hit it. I took a sip of water and it was, and when you're calling a race, three seconds of silence feels like an eternity in your head. And probably seems sure. that way out there. I have noticed over the years that like, what seems like, you know, if, if there's pause, if you're looking for a name, if you can't see someone, it always seems like it's really long. But when you listen back to the replay, it's usually pretty bang, bang. But this this instance, it, it was long. And I finally coughed it out or whatever and got through the rest. But I it was it was the last call on a Sunday. And so it's like the whole next four days. I'm like, oh, that, that's, that was the, the taste in my mouth, so to speak. But I mean, yeah, I've had, you know, I've had panic attacks during races where I've shut off the mic uh, at Portland. That happened a couple of times. Um, you know, and you, my boss calls, he's like, everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, sort of. <laughs> and, and they weren't, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what, I mean, I've had phone calls. Had, you get guests up in the booth with you sometimes and you tell them, you know, hey, no phone calls, try to keep quiet during the race. And they'll start screaming for their horse because, you know, they've had a couple of pops. And uh, I mean, all that kind of stuff happens. But favorite, it's funny, I don't like have any real favorite race calls. I, I, I try not to get to, for, you know, sometimes as goofy as I'm on social media stuff, I really treat the, the race calling as professional as I can. I'll throw in little funny quips, but I try to make them pretty subtle and not, not so blatant. Right. But uh, certainly I think the biggest race I ever called, I mean, I, I called a grade one at Monmouth, the United Nations, and I called some graded races there, but uh, maximum security and the Pegasus stakes, which was his first race after the Derby DQ. I mean, that was certainly the most nervous I've ever been. And I would argue probably the most eyeballs I've ever had on a race I've called because I mean who's not watching that race right? right and then he gets and then he gets beat I mean I had my I'm not a big rehearsal lines guy but I had a few things ready to say because I was thinking it was going to be a 10 length win and I was going to do something very subtle but I thought you know good just to to discuss how great this horse is and you know he's back and winning and all that stuff and so then all of a sudden on the turn, I see King, he, he's getting pushed along and King for a day is coming up. And I just remember thinking, well, crap, here we go. <laughs> so it was like, throw everything out and just, you know, just call the race. But I thought it turned out really well. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm proud of that. Because I mean, that was, that was what I felt was kind of my first real big stage moment. And it was terrifying. I mean, I remember right before they went to the gate, I have a trick I learned in my anxiety programs in the hospitals over the years is if you put cold water on the back of your neck, it creates the dive reflex, which helps your, uh, it kind of kills the adrenaline ah. in your system. And so anytime before a big race, you will <laughs> you hear water. My, I, oh, I hundred percent do, man. <laughs> and cause if you wear a shirt and a tie, you got a collar and I'll put it right between the collar and my neck. And uh, with maximum security, I'll never forget that. I did, I did that. The race started if, when they're going in the first turn, uh, there's a horse named identifier who had different color silks on the front than the back it was like oh. gelfenstein farm and somebody else so the back was like black and silver and the front was like yellow and light blue it was really so the whole time they were warming up i was seeing the front side because they're down at the three eighths you know the three sixteenth pole so they're going in the first turn and there was another horse in there with black silk so i i botched it you, you unless you're kind of listening for it you probably wouldn't notice it but i remember thinking oh god we're furlong in <laughs> I screwed this up already, but you know what I found is anytime I'm really nervous, like my first race back at Gulfstream West after not calling for years, uh, the Haskell, the first or not the Haskell, the uh, the maximum security race, uh, the first race at Monmouth, first race at Colonial, like I'm always really really nervous, and then 
at some point in the race, you just remember, I know how to do this and yeah. we're going to, you know, we're just going to be fine. And, and then get rid of the nerves and relax and just do it. And so, um, so, but, so I, mean, I, I get, you know, I was going to try to reiterate every race caller from way back. Um, you know, they, they study the silks mm -hmm. in order to, uh, that's their tip as far as, do you use like word association based on silks or you just, you know, whatever. I just, I just memorize them. Yep. I just, I, I just know that, you know, Bill's hope is red and Johnny's, you know, so, so-and-so is green and uh, Burger King is, uh, is red, whatever the colors may be. Um, I feel like I've gotten pretty proficient at the memorizing part. I can do it pretty fast. And I, I actually like that because I think it's like, the, just as a human being, I think it's good to kind of keep our brains and memory sharp on those kind of things. So I actually like that that's kind of something we have to do for work. Um, and it's funny because you'll hear guys a lot of times say like, oh, I'd rather call a 12 horse field than a five horse field, which I'm always like, you know, they'll say, oh, it's actually easier. No, it's not. Shut up. <laughs> it's not. Like, it drives me nuts when guys say that. But I will say that I do memorize a lot better when there's 12 because you're petrified of getting one of them wrong. Whereas right. when there's five, a lot of times you're just like, well, it's five horses. I got four minutes to post and I want to watch this race over at Oakland. And, you know, and so, and then all of a sudden it's those races you get in trouble because you maybe didn't memorize quite as hard, but you know, I mean, it's still way easier to call five than 12. It, it seems that uh, the nightmare race for a race caller is the mile and a half race that has five horses because how <laughs> yeah. much can you say about five horses in a mile and a half race if you watch i'll give i'll tell you a little inside baseball I'll, every time there's those kind of races come up and i've been guilty of this too there'll be one time usually on the backstretch where they'll call the whole field and they'll put the rider of each horse's name in there and it's literally just fill in time but i think it's also like trying to show off a little bit sure. like, i got these guys memorized uh, i was like doing the field of nine sprinting on the grass then we'll start talking but uh yeah i mean those races it's certainly especially if if something goes wrong early like because I can't speak for the other guys, but I know for me, like when something goes wrong early, I've gotten better about just throwing it, just being like, look, it's over, who cares? But I right. used to like sit like, oh crap, well, this call's screwed up. I need, you know, I need to not screw anything up. And like the minute you call races defensively, like you get in trouble. I, uh, I fortunately have had pretty good luck of not like really screwing up any calls. And at Colonial, I, ha I had for really the first time in 12 or 13 years of doing this, I had one where I just flat out called the, the wrong horse. Like I thought the horse was on the inside of a bigger horse. Couldn't see the saddle towel. Couldn't see the silks only saw the hat. And I guessed wrong. And I called it for, you know, an eighth of a mile till he got clear. And then I was like, Oh, that's actually so-and-so. And I remember just beating myself up so bad, but the worst part was the next few races. I wasn't trusting my memorization. And uh, so every time I'd get to a horse, I would be double checking down. my program, yes. which you can't do because then you're not looking at the race and you get behind. And that, that, that screwed me up for, it took a couple of days to kind of feel like, you know, confident again, because I was like, God, I screwed that up. I can't do that again. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a brain thing that, and you have, that's the other thing. You have to trust your memorization. I've heard people talk about, you know, oh, well, this guy called this horse by the wrong name. Like there was one a couple years ago, Larry Colmus, there was discreet image and discreet love. They were both New York horses, both kind of stakes horses. One was like a Philly sprinter. One was the, and the one, when he won the, uh, 
I think the Jockey Club Gold Cup, he called it by the wrong one until he got to the finish where you, you know, a lot of times at the eighth pole, you'll stop the binoculars and just look at the naked right. eye. And I remember people were like giving him crap for it. And I'm sitting there going like, do you guys know how easy that is to happen? Because just in your brain, you know, I had one at River Downs. This is a funny story. Um, my second year at River Downs, there was a horse on the track named Bring Spring. And there was another one named Spring Dream. And they both had blue and yellowish colors, different patterns of it, but similar. And so Spring Dream was a favorite one day. And the whole way around, I called him Bring Spring. And he ran fourth, uh, you know, off the board. So an hour later, I get a phone call from his trainer and he goes, yeah, this is, you know, so-and-so. I mean, you guys can go look, at, you can go look him up on Applebee's. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, you called my horse burn spring the whole way around. And the thing is, is because of the memorization stuff, I never even realized it. I'm just, I'm pulling from, you know, yeah. each little firing cortex in there or whatever. And so I said, I don't even realize that. I said, I'm so sorry, you know. And so, but then instead of just saying, you know, oh, it's okay. He goes, well, my owner's oh, pretty geez. upset about it. And I go, oh, okay. And he goes, he goes, why don't you just look at the program where it says the name? I go, well, that's not how you do it. And I'm not going to sit and explain the art of race calling to him. And so I said, all I can do is apologize. I said, I'm so sorry. And then he went back to the, well, my owner's still upset. And so I, I finally said, I go, shouldn't he be more upset that you ran fourth at nine to five? Like, and so then he hangs up. And so I called Jack and Essie and my boss. I go, just to warn you, you might get a phone call from this particular <laughs> trainer. And, uh, and then I never heard anything about it. So, but it was like, you know, it's just one of those things like when you're, you know, you're, you're pulling, all you're doing is you're pulling from this vocabulary that you have and you're pulling from the memorizing the names that you have. But, you know, I had bring spring in there and I had spring dream in there and I associated the colors, so I just pulled the wrong one during the race. And it's just, you know, it, it's going to happen. And I honestly, I like when the guys at the big tracks have those moments because it makes, it reminds me that like, you're just, that's going to always happen once in a while. And somebody once told me, and I thought this was really accurate, like the best, the guys who are the, really the best, this you'll see make those mistakes one out of every hundred races and then there's a lot of guys you'll see make them every eight or nine or ten races and uh but the, the best best guys are going to screw up sometimes i mean that's just sure. that's just i mean it's 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 there's too much going on too quickly to not make a mistake every once in a while and so yeah. i've once i accepted that, that that's going to happen sometimes i was a lot easier on myself I'm, I'm not going to mention the uh race caller's name but it just happened oh, about a week or so ago it was on the left coast and they're they're calling the race and you know horse comes down and he makes their dramatic race call at the wire and he must have looked up at the tote board and he goes and he's oh, 65 yeah, yeah. to one well the horse was six to five <laughs> and do you know what happened what happened the blinking yellow light was not it's an blinking. old scoreboard was not blinking because how often do they use the 12 hole at los alamitos and so and it was yeah okay you should but, know the who the favorite is right and, and that and now that, that was my follow-up question is that um is it in the unofficial rule book of race callers that regardless of where the favorite is you need to be letting everybody know because that's the majority of people have money on the yeah. table and they I think, know uh, where he is and what's happening. Yeah. 
first of all, the, the guy we're talking about is world class. So, and he, and he I wasn't was, gonna he, go there, but. I know, but he's so good. And so like, I, you know, me immediately, I'm like, dude, you can have like 20 screw ups and we still think you're amazing. But he like, you know, he admitted he, and he was, you know, there's nobody more upset about it than him, but you could, I mean, and, and he even said, you know, he's like, I'm doing doubles. Like, you know, it's just a long day. And, and like, so I'm like totally forgiving about it. But, you know, from his perspective, I'm sure he's like, you know, of course I need to know who the favorite, the favorite is and what have you. Yeah. But like, to me, that's when technology failed you, like it's sometimes it's easier for that stuff. I've had it where like Monmouth, it's real hard to see the the prices because the tote board flanges yeah. to the side. Yeah. And so when the sun's shining on, you just can't see the odds. And so I, or the fractions. And so I had a couple of times where I called the wrong fraction just because I couldn't quite see it quite right. So yeah. it's just, I mean, it's so easy for that stuff to happen that I don't judge guys too harshly on it. And like I said, you're talking about a guy that's going to happen to once every few months at most, because he's just so skilled at it. And so, um, you know, I know he was bummed out about it, but I was just thinking like, dude, you got nothing to worry about. Like, everybody knows you're awesome. Well, that was, uh, I don't know if it was, Larry, but uh, this weekend when um, Nashville and Charlottetown, it was actually Frank Marimani. It was Frank, yeah. Yeah, and Nashville, Charlottetown, and they're going, you know, they break, they're going seven furlongs, and he, you know, he's saying, uh, oh, it's Nashville comfortably by two and a half. Uh, the fraction, uh, the early fractions are reasonable. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like 21 and four. I mean, like yeah, Santa Anita, no. so I would argue that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, well, no, the, I, the one the one that gets you a lot nowadays, and you hear about it a lot, is the price drops because you'll talk about uh, a horse going into the gate as the favorite, and then all of a sudden midway on the during the race, you know, so and so on the outside, the favorite spotted two and a half off the lead, and then you look and you ain't favorite no more. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> especially you know maybe a smaller track where you know like Grants Pass. There's a lot of money coming in the last couple of jumps. And so, yeah. uh, and I've heard Peter Berry talk about that on Twitter where, you know, and you kind of, I don't want to say you make yourself look dumb because it's, there's, you know, I know exactly why and how it happens, but you feel like that. You're like, well, God, I just told everybody the favorites last, but the worst ain't even the favorite. And so you definitely, that that's one you got to really watch out for. And it, it hits you more in sprint races because sure. the odds don't go final till basically they're midway on the turn. And so, whereas, you know, a turf route, you can look, you, you can take time. a quick scan at the odds and you got time. So, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully we're, we're having another race caller on the podcast in a few weeks, but I believe his calls, I'm not going to call him by name in case he backs out, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I swear on his race calls, um, I know who he bet that race. <laughs> You know, just well, you know, it's funny. I've heard people talk about that about about a couple of guys in particular, but the one guy that gets talked about that the most, I don't actually agree with the people who are saying that. Okay. And so we'll we'll talk after air because I'm almost sure it's the same guy. But I actually disagree with that statement because I watch the races from this particular guy's track all the time, and I think people think that what happens is he'll spot a horse closing that he thinks is closing, and it might not it might peter out and run third or fourth right. and they're like oh he only gave it a big call no i think he thought the horse was going to be a big big danger and right. it just didn't pan out which by the way horses do that to you multiple times a day you know if you if you if you get into the into the business of predicting stuff and i i try not to like i i've talked to pete and 
Aiello and other guys about this. Like, I don't have any clue why they ever get confident about like, oh, and so-and-so's gone at the eighth pole. Like there's yeah. a lot that can happen sure. in the last furlong. Like I will never put a horse away as a winner until it is so pathetically obvious this horse couldn't lose unless he falls, you know, yeah. and, but there's, there's a lot of guys that will kind of take a shot with that early in the stretch or at the eighth pole. And I like, I just do not get it. I don't see there's upside because if you're right, yeah, you know, whatever, but if you're wrong, like everybody's going to remember that. And so, but no, I, I, I mean, yeah, I'll be curious to hear w- w- if it's the same person, but also what they say, because I disagree on the person who I think gets that the most. I, I, I think it may not be the person because I, okay. based on what you said, I think I know who you're talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that person. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so um, I know Eric's Eric's uh, bite, biting his tongue. He, he can't wait to jump in. I just have one last thing, and then I'll yep. turn it over to Eric to ask any additional questions he might have. Um, what I, I assume that every once in a while you may wager on uh, the races that you're calling. Is that tr- is that a good assumption? It's a bad no. assumption. Uh, <laughs> so I have, but twice. Oh, okay. Because the, fifteen I, years. The the question was going to be: um, Do you find yourself kind of fighting fighting your mind <laughs> if if things so aren't going I, well? For yeah. Your so I I didn't at first I, because I just didn't want to have a rooting interest. Sure. I thought that was not um, professional, to be honest. And I know a lot of guys that bet races they call, and I know a lot of guys who don't. For me, I just thought that that was the best thing to do because I'm already going to have some intrinsic biases. I'm friends with some trainers. I'm friends with some jockeys. Uh, you know, and, and I try to make those not come through, uh, you know, as much as I can. I remember when, you know, like when Vic was taking Rosario's book, people were like, oh, you know, anytime he mentions Rosario, he's, you know, he's pumping his rider. I'm like, he mentions all the jockeys that win. Like, what are you talking about? But uh, I just, it was kind of a choice I made. I made, I bet one pick five with a carryover at Portland and I made it halfway through the sequence or something was out. And then I made one win bet at River Downs in 07 and it was a nine to two shot and they turned for home and there was a line of three horses and mine was right behind them. And I made the call. I said, Vernon Bush really needs to go outside now. <laughs> <laughs> and I and he didn't and he no 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 problem Vernon I understand what happens but the horse ended up running third and I remember listening back to the replay and I go come on <laughs> and so uh and and so I truly, and you, know truly you articulated exactly what everyone what the, oh, who yeah. bet that horse oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I you know I, I I've often joked that the if, if a race caller's inner monologue would be way more entertaining than an actual race call, you know, like, you know, down the back stretch, the opening quarter, 21 and three, what are these two idiots doing? You know, stuff like that would be hilarious, but it also would be kind of unprofessional. But no, I, it, I thought it sounded really bad. And I just like, I can't ever do that again. And I literally haven't. I'm just going to, sh- uh, I'm, I'm out of questions, but you talk about, you know, how race callers will add in things, mm-hmm. you know, for levity or whatever. The greatest I had ever heard was when Michael Rona was calling it at Golden Gate, and it was like a mile and a sixteenth mile and eighth. And as they go around the clubhouse turn onto the back stretch, he says, "And the first quarter is run in twenty-seven and two. If there are any authorities on the backside, please arrest them for loitering." 
Yeah, he uh, he's obviously what we were talking about with the six to five thing, and his his uh, his skill and his vocabulary and just his ability. I think yeah, it's, it's I, honestly it's daunting. Like he's so good, and, and so and I think, that's. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just I, I think that call illustrates like. No, I, I don't know that that's something that just pops into your head. I think that's one he maybe has at the ready in case it happens. But either way, it's so funny and so quick. Like, you know, you just can't help but admire the guy's ability. He's so good. And I think because, you know, he was the first one that I heard in, in at any North American track who, when the horses crossed the wire, he would tell you the order of finish from yeah. start to last, yeah. how they finished. Yeah, I don't know. He stopped that at some point. I think he still does it in big races. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, there's a couple guys that do it in like huge races, but right. Um, I've never, I never. I mean, and part of that could be just where we're from. I mean, maybe it's more of a, a conventional thing uh, in, in Australia or, or what have you. Because like, I would never go past whatever the betting, wherever the betting ends. Sure. Um, and plus, like, you know, I've when it comes to like photos for third and fourth, if for some reason you have to look down at the program or if you're paying attention to the winners, or if you check the time, by the time they've galloped out, orders change. Sure. So I've gotten a lot better of, I have to take a mental picture of the first five, and then I can look somewhere else, unless I forget one of the, right. you know, whoever's third, fourth name. But um, yeah, like there's a lot of changing that can happen after the race. So, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, that's just a stylistic thing, I think. Yeah, and, and as a fan, you know, and you say, oh, so-and-so finished first, so-and-so was second and there's a photo of third and you're like yeah that horse oh, was third I've, by a length i've done that i've done that a hundred times and and that's what that's exactly what happens you're looking at, at the first and second horses as the you know because maybe you're searching for a name maybe right. you want to oh god was that rosales you know it was his third winner of the day i should say that whatever it is it takes you away from that photo and by the time they're 10 five or 10 strides past they could be dead even and it and you're like oh it was a photo you know and i mean that happens so many times uh obviously it rarely happens for the win photo because that's what you're so focused on but for third and fourth i mean that happens a lot all right. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. I'm going to turn it over to my partner, Eric Rubin, who uh, is probably going to explode with <laughs> questions and statements from this point. Eric, it's all yours. All right. I'll, I'll be easy here. Um, to piggyback your Vernon Bush story, I remember watching a race at Gulfstream in, the, I want to say, the spring. And I love Pete Aiello. And Paco Lopez was on a horse. And he pretty much was standing up on the horse at like the 16 pole because he was ahead by so much. And another yeah. horse starts coming and closing. And that's the one I bet on. I remember and this race. Pete, Pete said something. Yeah, Pete said something yeah. like, turn around, Paco. Or what? You know, he like almost warned Paco. I'm like screaming, yeah. Pete, shut up. You can't tell him that. That's my horse. <laughs> so yeah. that reminded me of your very the much good, The good news is, is I'd say, I'd say most tracks I've been to, the jocks can't hear you anyways. But if I remember right, that was after the pandemic. So there was nobody there. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if the volume, I, I had heard, because I know as a whole, I think the volume out front of Gulfstream is not that high, but um, yeah, like I called her, they obviously wouldn't have heard because there's no speakers, you're only doing it for TV. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember having somebody accuse me, they said something like, oh, something you said, the stewards, it could have influenced their decision. I go, the stewards ain't listening to the race call. Like, I don't care. I mean, at Grant's Pass, they might hear my call because it's all open air, but like they don't give a crap what I'm saying about a race. Like they truly don't. And that, that I think that I've never met a steward that cared what the announcer said. Do you do you handicap the races at all before so you know like who the speed is, who's a closer? Because I've heard announcers say so and so uncharacteristically at the back of the pack yeah. or something like that. 
I, uh, I am a mild, I mean, so at Grants Pass and Colonial, I do some of the pre-show stuff. We, we actually tape them in advance, but uh, so I do a little more in-depth on that sense, but um, I try not to over handicap. I want to, I want to be familiar, like you said, with, you know, because there's storylines within a race. And if, if there's just two complete gun to the lead speed types, I do want to know that. Cause it is the race completely changes. If one breaks slow, if one doesn't go, what have you, but I don't over handicap the races that I call. Cause I do want to, I think the most important thing is to report what's happening out there now. Uh, but obviously sometimes what's happened in the past, you know, if it's a rivalry or, you know, if it's a pace scenario thing, or if somebody's going for their, you know, 50th career win or whatever it is, you want to be, you know, we have a horse at Grants Pass named Cat Chaco who is the leading active horse by total wins by like a mile. He's got like 47 or 48 wins. And so for a horse like that, I want to know exactly what number he's going for because if any time he wins, it's a story. But uh, yeah, I, I probably under handicap just because I want to make sure I'm reporting what's happening, not what I think should happen and or, you know, is going to happen. But there's certain, there's certain things you definitely, I, I, I call it mild handicapping. I mildly handicap when I announce. All right, I want to segue into uh, some betting questions, but before we do, uh, just before the show, we were talking, and you know, I was thinking because at the beginning, I don't know if you noticed, I walked away once or twice. I was still listening because I have a dog. Our listeners know GQ knows, uh, and I mentioned you. I have like eighty-two animals in the house, so I was trying to keep him quiet. But I'm always nervous that he's going to run in when he's home. I try and send him to daycare when we're recording, so he's not here. I'm always worried I'm going to like not hit record on the uh yeah. on the show we're gonna have a whole interview not recorded so i'm sure you who have been doing this a lot better and longer than us have some kind of i don't know crazy stories or problems i know you mentioned something about steve asmussen before the show that you said you might talk about so tell us one or two kind of crazy stories the, uh, i'm gonna big time wood knock here uh i've only had one interview where something went wrong in terms of the recording process and that was real early on in the show. And uh, it was Michelle Yu. And Michelle had just taken a job with Bet America. And so fortunately, her, I felt like I could call back and be like, look, <laughs> the audio, what ended up happening was it made her audio, or it made my audio sound normal and hers sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> And so, you know, it was, it, whereas if it was mine, that was the album, I could just edit in me asking the questions afterwards, but Michelle being the nice person that she is, she let, you know, she just let us do the interview again. But um, that's like one of my biggest fears, especially when it's either a guest I've never met or, you know, I hate to say it, but if it's somebody really big in the sport, you know, you know, they don't have a lot of time. You're also nervous just because it's somebody, you know, big in the sport or whatever. Um, and you just don't want it to screw up, but I, I, I have to trust the technology. And, and, but the, uh, the Steve Asmussen, I was mentioning, uh, you were talking about, you know, getting a, a certain microphone. And I mean, the, one of the beauties of podcast is, and with the beauty of modern technology, I mean, you really can record when and where you see fit. And when I'm doing all this traveling during the year, uh, you know, there's sometimes where I have to do interviews, you know, from hotels, uh, I've done some from the side of the road. I, I remember interviewing Gabby Godette. Uh, I was driving home from NHC in Vegas and I interviewed her at the Burger King in Mount Shasta, California. I was parked up against a huge snowbank, And uh, I remember, you know, I literally had the, I, I had the microphone resting on my left knee and my computer up against the steering wheel and, and did the interview and no listeners would have known. I mean, it was, you know, cause 
we have this technology to do all this kind of stuff. Uh, with Steve Asmussen, his assistant, uh, I knew on Twitter. And so I had asked her, you know, would he ever do an interview? And she said, you know, he's pretty good about it. He's obviously very busy. It was the summer. And so um, Jeff Bloom, who, uh, Bloom Racing, he had named a horse after me, a horse named Beamy Award. And Steve trained Beamy Award. And so I kind of thought, well, this might be my end to get Steve as a guest. So I talked to Jeff and Jeff's like, yeah, I'll put in a good word. And so Steve's assistant actually got back to me and she's like, hey, Steve said he'll do it. Um, he's, she goes, he's going to Kentucky Downs today for the stakes races because it was right around Labor Day. And uh, she goes, so I don't know what time, but he told me, you know, when he has 15 minutes, he'll, he'll let me know and, and you call him. So I said, okay, great. And, you know, usually you try, you know, in the beauty of podcast is you can do it whenever, right? So the day's going on and I hadn't heard anything. And, and he won a race with Snapper Sinclair for Jeff Bloom at Kentucky Downs. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he's at the track there. You know, he's, I got some time. So, but I, I had to run an errand. I took my mic and my computer with me just in case that he was, you know, like, hey, I can do it now. So, of course, I leave. And I, and I get a message, hey, call Steve in 15 minutes. He's driving back from Kentucky Downs. And I'm like 30 minutes from home. So I'm like, crap. And it's 90 degrees out. It was like a really hot day in Seattle, which, you know, we don't get a lot of 90 degrees. So I end up, I parked behind the Doubletree Hotel in Tukwila, Washington. And I grounded myself for the internet and everything. And I had a Prius at the time. But what happens with the Prius is it kind of goes on silent, but then it'll pop back up to charge itself up. And so... I'm doing the interview with Steve and I've got my air conditioning gently on and, you know, and I'm doing the interview and then the engine comes on and it's real loud. I'm like, Oh crap. So I turn the, turn, turn it off and I'm doing the interview and it's, it's okay. It's hot, getting hot, but we're going through, and he was like in just a great mood. He was answering all the questions, running with the whole thing. And as we're going, it's just getting, I mean, it's, I'm in a, I'm inside of a car in a 90 degree part you know parking lot it's just awful and so you hear at different points in the race me reaching into my cup of ice water and like pouring water on my head steve will be like yeah you know a snapper he's a real nice and then you hear clink 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 and i remember because the reason I, I brought this up was telling you that the microphone when you don't have you know that particular mic if you don't have some kind of soft stuff around it you'll pick up more noise from around and i remember listening back to that and like you wouldn't notice it really unless you were listening for it but like steve just sitting there talking about you know his his grass horses and, and you hear me dumping water on my head in the background and uh and i think you know and like i said i don't think any listeners knew i, I talked about it later on much after the fact but i don't think anybody knew right away but yeah there's uh I mean, the, the, the technology now, it allows us to do these kind of shows. I mean, you know, the three of us don't know each other from Adam, but we can sit here and have a conversation, you know, like, I mean, it literally took us a minute to get signed in, locked in and you're recording and, and, and we're all in our living rooms. Hopefully I'm recording. We'll find out in about uh, 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to be real pissed, Eric, if you're not, come on. You know, we're, we're, you're, you're going to be like Michelle, you, right? You were just going to uh, call you back and oh. redo it. <laughs> you, well, you know, it's funny, like, because we actually talked, you, you, I had talked with you before the holidays and, um, you know, with the end of Grants Pass and the end of the summer season, I was having a lot of voice problems, like just my voice getting weak. And um, I, part of it, too, we were doing those Zoom call. I have a group of buddies that we all did Zoom calls during the pandemic. And I realized, I'm like, God, I've never had so many problems with my voice. And then I realized, I'm like, well, not only am I doing the podcast, not only am I doing the erase calling, but then I'm talking with these dorks for, for two hours every night. 
And uh, so I, I've definitely tried to scale back my uh, talking because I was I was getting really, really hoarse for a while there. And it's kind of come back a little bit this last week or two, but that's just because, you know, with holidays, I've been talking to a lot of family and stuff on the Zoom. So I've, it's certainly something I got to figure out a little bit better. Yeah. And just for the listeners out there to show what kind of person Jason is, I uh, probably emailed him, I would say about two months ago now. And he mentioned that he was very busy, et cetera, like you just mentioned, but he'd love to come on after the holidays. And then out of the blue, I got an email about two weeks ago or a week ago um, where I didn't reach out against him. He just kind of reached out. I assume he probably forgot about it. And I would reach out at some point, maybe in January. So that's yeah. the kind of person he is, though. He didn't forget about me. Uh, he called back or emailed back. So I really appreciate that. And one of the big yeah, no, reasons- that was I was dealing like I said with the holidays. I was I, I was still kind of dealing with the voice stuff because Colonial was just finishing or uh, Grants Pass was just finishing up, and so I just because because that's my work. I just was trying to avoid any uh, extraneous talking if I could. So, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, we appreciate. It. And one of the reasons we had you on is because we were able to have inside the pylons on, who's um, a good mm-hmm. friend of yours, I guess, and uh, he actually mentioned it. At, I think after we were recording, we spoke for a while with him. And he said, oh, you have to have Beamy on. You have to have Beamy on. And I listen to your podcast a lot. Um, it's probably the, I mean, in my opinion, I'm not just saying this because you're here, but the best podcast in, uh, in horse racing, kind of the, uh, the bar that, that has been set for everyone else because there's so many out there now. But one of the reasons I love your show is because you talk so much about betting and, and betting strategy and structure. You know, I'm listening to other podcasts and it's like, oh, I don't like this two to one favorite, but we got to include him as a C and <laughs> it's just kind of crazy stuff. And I, I feel bad because people are listening to that and, and trying to learn from it, but you do a great job. So I want to get into a few um, betting things with you before we let you go and, and questions. First of all, do you wager often on the races? Kind of how often do you wager and when you do, or if you do, uh, are you kind of a one track? Almost wager? not at all. Yeah. Really? Wow. Not at all. Uh, yeah. So I was one of those horrible betters, like a, B, C, D, E, F, G, the pylons likes to say, uh, that was me. And I think what's helped me learn a lot more about that was getting away from it for a long time. Um, I was, I, I was, I was, I look back at like my bets back in the days and they were so badly structured, but I was raised in the pick the winner era of, of horse racing, you know, where, that's that's the important thing is picking the eight to one we want it to be eight to one but picking the winner is is where it's at so you need to make your pick fours who are the top three or four that you think are going to win that's what you do you know and, and if a horse is three to five you single there and um and you know and and i guess i don't want to blame other people for that but i accepted that as that's what the truth was and that's how you bet and get better and i just repeatedly got crushed you know, I mean, for years, because I was a horrible better. Like I, I, I've never thought that I was a very good handicapper and I still don't, like, I don't think that my um, opinion is better than, I think most people's opinion is as good if, and the people who are real educated are better. But I think that, that by getting away from it for so long, it really, and obviously becoming friends with ITP. And I mean, I, I'm a disciple of his in terms of my look outlooks on theory and stuff, but you know, I, I listen to, I, one of the beautiful things about doing a podcast is you get to talk to all these interesting people and a lot of them are very smart people. And what I can gather is that most of the, the sharpest people that I know are coming at it from a pretty similar angle. There's obviously differences in approaches on some stuff, but overall, all of them are looking to 
make wagers that are paying more than the chances of them hitting. I mean, that's kind of the definition of positive expectation and, um, and that's what they're doing. And, you know, the other thing is I've, I've got to be friends with guys that are pro sports betters and, you know, they really reinforce the, like, I'm not picking teams, I'm picking numbers. And so much of horse racing is who do you like, you know, and that, and that kind of approach to it. And that is a fun part of it. Like it's fun to tab a winner, but, you know, I was talking and I was emailing a guy who was emailing in about asking about contests because he was playing in the Santa Anita contest this last weekend. It was going to be his first kind of big contest. And I said, you're going to find in contests, like it's way more about who do you need to bet to get to a certain point than who do you like? Um, you know, if, if you need to get to 12,000, you have a thousand bucks and you like the eight to five shot. I mean, there's only a couple of different ways for you to maybe turn that 2000 into 12,000. And it usually is going to involve some 30 to one shot running second or third or what have you. And, you know, I was, I just kind of was pointing out to him, like, there's so many more easy ways to get to 12,000 than, you know, trying to, you know, do something really exotic or really goofy. Like, you know, you a couple of good win bets at short prices and you're there if you just parlay them or a straight daily double or whatever. But, you know, I just trying to explain to him, like, you know, the math is what becomes important, not necessarily, you know, just, just what horse you like. And so, um, it's, it's been really fascinating because I'll tell you the exact moment that changed my perspective. All this was at NHC in 20, I think 17, uh, I was talking to ITP and I, I, I ran into him more. I was right outside of an elevator. And, uh, I, I said, uh, how's that going for you? And he goes bad. And I go, Oh, I'm sorry. Here he goes. Yeah. He goes, this is just not my game. He goes, I'm not good at picking winners. I'm good at picking losers. And I remember thinking like, well, this guy's a professional horse player and he's not good at picking winners. Like, what is he talking about? And at some point I, it hit me like his skill is finding bad favorites and finding races where he can be completely different from the pack. Cause they're the pack is obviously focused on the favorites uh, or if not the favorite, the top few. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, just, it was such a light bulb moment for me that like, he's looking at a race almost completely different than I am and what a big majority of the people is. We talk about on the show a lot, like when you are structuring your bets, you know, you want to have a good idea of how most people are playing it. And, you know, if you're kind of new to this line of thinking, the way you're planning on playing it is probably similar to the way a lot of people are going to play a sequence. I mean, everybody, when they look at a pick five, if there's kind of a logical three to five looks tough, and then there's two or three races where there's 12 horse fields. I mean, what, they're probably plotting the same course you are spread, single spread, you know, and, and then they're floored when it comes back seven to one, they're single hits seven to one. And, but it doesn't pay all that much. And it's like, well, if everybody's spreading there, that seven to one isn't playing like a seven to one would in a six horse field where he's the fourth choice. And there's two total standouts. Like, you know, every, every seven to one is not made the same. And so uh, that, that day with, with ITP, I just remember it. It was like a light bulb, like, this is just, I've been looking at this so wrong for so long. And obviously because of being friends with him, I, you know, I, I have the luxury of, of uh, talking with him a lot. So I, I get to learn more and more. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I love listening to his, you know, to his thoughts on these things because A, he's a proven professional at it for decades. Um, and B, it's just, it, I, I love the idea of critically thinking about this stuff now because it used to just, I used to just think it was like, oh, it's about picking winners. And 
I'm going to, you know, go ABC here and my top three choices here, my top three choices there. And, and that's it. And, uh, and it's just not that, but, but discovering that has really rekindled my interest in that side of the game because I, I got crushed for so long that I just completely went away from it. Yeah. That's interesting. Now that you probably know better, you're, you're not betting where when you didn't know better, you were, betting. I just don't have my, my worry is, is that I didn't have an off button back in the day. And so <laughs> I just don't want to test that anymore. And in a weird way, I think it does, it does help me a little bit with, having a little bit less emotion about topics because I think when you actually are in, you know, and, and that's why I said, I, I will go on ad nauseum. And if you've listened to my show, which it sounds like you have, I will always say like, I'm not the expert on this stuff. And I will always caveat it with that. But um, I do think not having the emotional ties of tickets and certain sequences can help um, look at things from just a, a more cold black and white theoretical number situation. I think the better players can play and look at it that way as well. But I just, I so didn't have that emotional maturity back when I was playing regularly. I just don't want to test about those waters right now. For those who aren't on, uh, for those who aren't on Twitter, um, ITP who we're talking about, who we had as a guest on, so our listeners know who he is from that. He's often posting about um, TV hosts, TV analysts from the different tracks and the tickets they post. What's that? (laughs) You don't say. <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Uh, we won't mention any names. I've had, a couple, I interesting con- I've had a couple interesting conversations over the years of, you know that guy? <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. No, I've never heard of him. <laughs> well, we won't mention names. He's got a favorite target on the West Coast, so I won't mention. But there, there are several of them. But you you did some uh, pre-races TV, you said, or analysis for, like, Colonial, mm-hmm. for, for um, Portland, et cetera, Grants Pass maybe now. Do yeah. you feel, do you put out picks when you do that or you just discuss the races? Nope. I purposely don't do picks uh, or tickets because I, first of all, I think the fun of it is, is people finding it themselves. I want to bring up anything I think is interesting that maybe isn't in the form uh, via replays or what I saw. Uh, and then I will, with Colonial, I have Merv so, and he's the handicapper. So he's the one giving out picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I will, you know, I'm just the host and that's about with Grant's pass. I make it so it's a little bit more of just an overall preview of the show. Part of the reason is because I think there's an, in, in the age of on demand, I think it's nice for people to be able to watch the show whenever they want. I pitched the idea to, cause we tape a couple days in advance and post them on YouTube. And the advantage to that is, is that people can watch it whenever they want. The obvious disadvantage is there's zero information on scratches and there's zero information on actual odds as they go. Uh, at Colonial, me and Merv talk between races so we can update our thoughts and change our thoughts because in reality, in reality, I think over handicapping too far advanced without knowing your prices is is kind of destructive <laughs> and knowing who's the race because if I'm sitting there going, oh, you know, I love this five horse in here. But if the six was low, was the dueling speed and I was counting on that and he's gone now I you know my opinion in the race is completely different and by the way now that six horses all that money is going to be distributed to other horses so now I'm getting two to one instead of four to one and the horse is actually now a terrible bet even though he's Jason's best bet of the day so um, I really just all those shows I want to be more of just just an overarching look at the card Um, I will discuss at Grant's Pass you know, maybe who I think will be linchpins for the sequences for where people are going to go and maybe where you would want to go elsewhere. But um, yeah, overall, I mean, I, I'm certainly not giving any, uh, you know, any touts or advice. And I mean, I have horses I like and, and I'll discuss that. But um, I just think that 
the advantage of those is to, is to get them up early, but it would be a real disservice to be given picks out two days in advance, I think so. <laughs> GQ can attest to that last week. He, uh, you know, we, we do handicapping on the show as well. And, um, you know, I really, when we do the handicap, it's similar to what you said. I, I, every week I have the caveat if I don't have it anymore, where I'm saying, I want you guys to understand why I'm coming up with this and, you know, why my thoughts are this, what I saw, like you said, in the replay, et cetera. Um, but we do do like a, a pick of the week. Some, some of the listeners actually suggested that early mm-hmm. on. So we started doing it. And last week, GQ picked the horse. It, uh, it was at Gulfstream. And I want to say it was a 7-2 morning line, which means nothing there really. But um, I think it went off like 7-5 to five or 8-5. to five, And he texted me right before the race. He goes, oh, great. I'm stuck with a 7-5 to five shot, something like that, where he would never, you know, probably bet the horse at that price. And the other horse he mentioned goes off at 8-1 to one and, of course, wins. So had he known that, he would have adjusted. Absolutely. Um, one, one last question from me. And then I don't know if GQ has anything else, but... For me, like turning around, you talked about when you started turning around, when you met ITP outside the elevator, all that stuff. Um, for me, I, <laughs> I met him before you... that. I just, I ran, I ran into him that day. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. I, <laughs> I don't want to give him too much I wouldn't know who he was. You know? <laughs> oh, there you go. See, he's, he was all excited. I said that. I met him at a breakfast joint off Rainbow Avenue in Vegas. <laughs> so how do you know it was him, by the way? I'm curious. He, well, I, we, went, we met for breakfast before then. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if you just bumped into yeah, me, yeah. that's funny. Um, but no, like no, no. for me, well, I won't go through my whole story, but um, I had already started to change. But when I heard your two um, interviews, I guess it was a two-day interview with ITP, mm-hmm. that really changed my thinking a lot. Um, I was already changing. It kind of reinforced a lot of things and gave me some more things to think about. So I, personally, I highly recommend people to go back and listen to, um, to your two shows with ITP. Uh, if you want a second, you can tell us like where to find it. But I know I just Google Jason Beam inside the pylons podcast. Just go- yeah, Google inside the pylons, bet America. It'll be the first two things that show up. There you go. And, and and we did a show with him a few months ago. People can look back at that if they haven't seen it. But do you have any advice for people who want to become better, better? It's not the handicapping part, but the betting part. Is there any advice on the listening to those shows that you would have or resources that people can turn to? I think the neat thing is that podcasts are kind of becoming the the learning material for a lot of people um which is which is neat because i think for a a big generation of us we all read the same four books and i actually was doing a bit on the show recently where i a friend of mine had the davidovitz book and i thought it'd be interesting to go back and just read it because a i hadn't read it in a long time and b i think that's like one of those foundational four books that everybody read uh, as they were coming up and i think that podcasts are allowing us to hear from people. And I know, you know, your guys' last two guests are, are two of the guys that people would want to listen to because they're two people who've actually made their living betting the horses, which most folks can't say. And, you know, and it is a, a skill in and of itself that very, very few people are going to ever have. But listening to the kind of people that are actually doing that, I think is a, is a good first step. And, you know, we're lucky that guys like Tommy and ITP and others have, you know, they take the time to have those conversations uh, on various shows. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think those are really, really good places to start. But as far, I mean, you know, what's what's in the written word that focuses on proper ticket structure? I mean, I, I, I'm not a big agreeer on the Steve Chris ABC method thing, but that that at least is is something that is, you know, out there in that arena, but there's not, there's not much else. Mm. Uh, I know Mike Maloney did a book with uh, Pete Fornatel, that betting with an edge recently. Uh, I read that when it first came out because I was interviewing Mike, but I haven't gone back in, in recent years, but I'd be interested to go back into that uh, and just see what Mike's thoughts are. 
All right, GQ, you have anything else for Jason before we let him go? No, I think we've, we've uh, milked it for as long as we could, <laughs> got as much information out of him, <laughs> and, and even then some. So, no, I, I really appreciate Jason uh, coming on and being our last guest of 2020. That's uh, right, yeah. Let, let's uh, hope 2021 brings uh, healthier days and more horse races. Yeah. I mean, I, I was telling somebody that I got so lucky because really other than the last two weeks of colonial and, and the first month of grants passed, you know, I, I didn't miss out on a ton of work this year. And I know a lot of people did. So feel fortunate about that, but hoping for fuller, fuller schedules next year, for sure. Good. Well, thanks again. And you are welcome back any, any time you wish, uh, if you want to get something off your chest or just, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have my own place to get stuff off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> they pay they pay me to get stuff off my chest right? <laughs> we'll never have him back on come on gq <laughs> enjoy it while we have nah, it. We'll, he's a legend <laughs> no you guys are great appreciate it uh, all right well, well thank you, thank you so much and yeah have a happy new year and all and hopefully we'll uh we'll talk again in the future take care jason you got it so we thank jason beam once again for joining us uh really had a great time chatting with him just fascinating person and, and career in horse racing. We're going to move on to the final part of our show here relatively quickly because that was a long time. We don't want to keep you here too long. We're going to focus on the late pick five on New Year's Day. We usually do a Saturday card, but this time it's on Friday. The good news about this late pick five at Gulfstream on Friday is I don't need to use many horses. So this is going to be a little Tommy Massis uh, kind of hammer my opinion uh, bet here. So we start with race seven and I shouldn't read the conditions because we spoke about this before. It's too complicated, but optional claimer 25K or starter allowance 25K, six and a half furlongs on the dirt. And this is the one race I wasn't really sure about. Um, and we don't have morning lines yet. I can kind of have an idea. Like the four will probably be the favorite, I would think. I think the five will be the second choice. And unfortunately, I'm a little chalky here. Um, I, I do prefer the five, uh, again, depending on the price, Braccio De Ferro. These are words who um, his last race was better than it looks. He actually, he hopped at the start. It says off slow, so they record it, so people will know that. But he also ran three wide. Um, the pace was fairly quick, which probably helped him. But Ensign Parker, if that's how you say it, had a pretty easy lead that day, and he closed the gap pretty well uh, after that slow start. Uh, it was only a second start where the four Ensign Parker has four or five starts already, so this horse is still improving, I think, more so than the other. So I'll give the edge to the five, Braccio De Ferro. The four is obviously a real big player here. Um, he's raced two back, that buyer figure, you know, speed figure towers over the field here. But last race, he had a pretty easy lead. His speed figure was better than these, but not that much better. So yeah, he can definitely win. And I, I kind of like him, but uh, I'd give the five an edge, especially when I envision another price. Anyone can win this though. Even the two is a long shot, but he had a really bad start last time, too, and he's still close. I know he beat nothing, but um, I can see him improving. So this race, I can see just about anyone winning, but I would I, I would, I would, lean toward the five, Braccio De Ferro. Did you have any thoughts here, uh, GQ, you want to add, or questions? Now, uh, I have three trivia questions for you involving three <laughs> different horses in this race. All right, great. The horse that you like. What's the translation of Braccio di Ferro? Well, unlike you, I didn't Google it, so I don't know. Um, Braccio the answer of, is of 
Pharaoh, Pharaoh. I'm trying to think. War is that? Something of war? No, it's um, Close. Arm of Iron, a.k.a. Popeye the Sailor Man. So <laughs> that's, that's, so you like the Arm of Iron, the Five Horse, and uh, Ensign Parker. I'll excuse you for not knowing who Ensign Parker is. What show is this from, from the 60s? People who are younger than 60 probably don't know who Ensign Parker is. Have you ever heard of Tim Conway? The comedian. I've heard of him. That's yeah. about it. He was in a 60s comedy called McHale's Navy. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. Ne never saw it, but I've heard of it. Um, Ernest Borgnine was McHale, and <laughs> Tim Conway, of course, was a bumbling um, Ensign Parker. So, That's great because uh, our, our target target yeah our target audience is seventy five year olds so you're right in there right now with this conversation over, is great yeah over <laughs> sixty so we're we're here to educate also so the next cocktail party when you're talking about sitcoms in the sixties Mikhail's Navy ran from nineteen sixty two to nineteen sixty six and I remember it well um, it was a great show and uh, I'm. I'm surprised that you didn't go for uh, the two horse, uh, Buenasimo. Do you know uh, that, that this is Spanish? This is a Spanish. Word. Something's good with Buenasimo. Bueno is yeah. good. So very, very good. Got? It's actually great or awesome, is the translation. So there you go. Uh, I I thought maybe the one might be the Morning Lion favorite due to the fact that. Uh, Coming off of uh, two two wins in a row, and I at first reading the condition, I uh, was like, "How is this horse eligible?" Because he he won uh, claimer, but um, the condition says that uh, non-winners of a race other than maiden or a claim. So I, I don't understand the additional, or we can that we can save that for another podcast when we have time. But uh, I kind of like the, the the one horse based on that. You know, his uh, I, I'd say he's probably second or third choice, though though he has the the, the top Brisnet um, prime power number. Uh, I think it's interesting here. These are all three year olds racing on their birthday. You know, they, they you know as we speak, they're two. Uh, they turn three, um, and now all of a sudden they can race with Lasix. So um, it's interesting that uh, the one and the four elect to continue to race without Lasix. Uh, does that give the others an edge in your mind? No, I, it's, it's not a huge edge to me. I don't know how much the laces will help those horses, how much they'll hurt. So to me, it's a little guessing and I usually don't put that in my thoughts where I have to guess whether it'll help or not. I like more hard facts. So, but I hear what you're saying and I'm hoping it helps the Lasix because the five's got it and the four doesn't. Um, right. And yeah, I agree. The four, I think the four will be the favorite. The one will be either second choice or, uh, and the five will be either third or vice versa. Um, the three will be the fourth choice. I think maybe like a four to one range because you got Tyler and horse is decent too. Uh, and then the six will be a little higher and the two will be the longest. But uh, by the time people see this, they'll have the morning lines or listen to this. They'll probably see the morning lines. So they might not care about our morning line discussion. But you can see if I'm accurate with that or if GQ is accurate, we're pretty much on the same page. So 
Let, let's move on to race eight because we're trying to go quick here. And it's a mile on the turf, 35,000 non-winners of two lifetimes. So no ifs, ands, or buts. If they won more than one race, they can't run here. And I'm not going to talk about too many horses here, and I'll be brief. Uh, the four is a Safi Joseph, so it'll be, he always scares me, but I don't really care for the horse. Coming, uh, you know, second on the layoff, if you like him, that's fine. But uh, two horses here. Unfortunately, I think they might be the chalk also, though. Uh, that's a seven, Danny Gardner, who's winning everything. He had a horse run Saturday in the first race. It was the five horse in a two-turn turf race, a maiden claimer. And I don't remember the name of the horse, but he broke slow. He went, I think, wide even. There was zero pace in the race, uh, a long shot speed, I think, with uh, Corey Lannery maybe or something, almost held on. And he still closed and just nipped him at the wire. So his horses are running unreal, uh, Danny Gargan. And, uh, you know, we won't discuss why. But break beat the seven, it, I think, will be tough here. Coming off a of maiden win, but beat maiden special weight. So that might be better than beating uh, you know, 30,000 claimers, non winners of one. Maybe it's not better, but it's not that big of a jump up if it is a jump up. Garvin's hot. Uh, the horse had a two wide trip. He looked done last time. If you go back, watch the replay. He looks done, and then he comes back on. So I think this horse is going to be tough. Um, I, I can't say I love the horse, but definitely going to be tough. Unfortunately, with Garvin, uh, I assume he's going to be one of the favorites. The six, the North Remembers, is a horse I haven't really liked in the past, but in this field, I don't like much. And there seems to be a decent amount of speed, but then never plays out like I think. But with the nine having speed, uh, with the seven having some speed, with the four, a sprinter should have speed. I assume there's going to be speed here. Even the two could show speed. We don't know. First time on the turf. Uh, the six could get an ideal setup. But again, I don't like just betting because of that. His race two back is better than it looks. First of all, he was on soft turf. That was November 1st was one of the softest turf courses you're ever going to find in the history of North American racing. I think it was closing day in Belmont. They didn't care. They just want to get the races in. Uh, it, it was ridiculously soft. Um, so I can even forgive that race for that reason. But he was also pretty wide. <clears throat> and he had a tough post going to mile 16. So I can forgive that race. And actually, it was better than it looked. And then last race at this level, basically, uh, at Gulfstream, he was squeezed at the start significantly. He says pinch, which is basically the same thing. And, and that's true. It happened. Um he would have been mid-pack, so he's not like a deep closer, and it kind of affected him. Um, but he did save ground. He's already now five, so I don't know how much he's improving. I just think the six and seven are better than these. The eight is a Brad Cox, so he can win. But he had an ideal setup last time. He had a – I mean, it was a closer setup, so could he do it? Of course, but I'm going to bet against the eight because I can't have all the chalk. I assume six, seven, eight are the three favorites here by, by far. And the only long shot I'm going to look at is the five, who might have zero chance – I assume he'll be 20 or 30 to one morning line, uh, probably 30 to one morning line. He'll go off at least that. Um, but the five captain Duke, his last race was his only turf race. And he had major excuses. Um, he was up close early and then he just checked back badly. And then he started closing and he got taken up um, and, and he basically lost all chance again. So listen, I know it looks like he did nothing, but watch the replay on your own if you want Captain Duke. The race was much better than it looks. That was against cheaper horses. And who knows if he didn't have the trouble, would he have run that much better? I don't know. But for 30 to 1, I'm taking a chance. So I'm going to try the 5, 6, 7 here. Captain Duke, North members, break beat. And that's all I got in this race. Any? Yeah, the... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that was it. I was going to say any thoughts before we move on? I know I spent a little more time. I had yeah. to run with these over. Yeah, just like. 
So it's uh, it was interesting. I was looking up um, the horses that uh, Break Beat he lost to when both uh, of his previous uh, maiden races when he ran second. He ran second behind Scano, who came back to, to win. And uh, the horse starting over, not sure exactly how good he, that horse might be because his next race was a grade two on the grass. You know, he finished uh, a little less than four lengths behind the winner. So uh, uh, break beat uh, might be my pick. But again, you know, Danny Gargan's going to have to lose more than it. Uh, you know, he, he loses only 42% of the time track. So uh, I, I think break uh, beat is, uh, is a tough one to look at. You know, second off the claim, the eight zip along, you know, that horse is going to take money, especially uh, coming off of that race where he ran second. But, uh, you know, we're talking about golf stream and, uh, you know, there, but there is, there is quite enough speed in here that can set it up for a closer. I also thought the uh, four horse calibrator was pretty interesting for turf horse stretching out. Uh, you know, people will look and say, oh, you know, he ran fine, you know, sprinting, but the one mile race, you know, he lost bad. Well, look who was in that race. Solavante, King Guillermo. Um, <laughs> they're not your typical uh, $35,000 claiming horses. So, uh, I do question whether or not uh, he can get the distance uh, the two turns uh, just because of his breeding on the bottom side. Uh, it doesn't suggest it, but uh, who knows? Uh, maybe going the two turns uh, will help him out and can just uh, come off the pace a little bit. So the seven, eight, and four are the ones that I'm looking at. So if you want to move on to the ninth, be my guest. Yep, five furlong sprint. I believe that's pronounced the Janus. Uh, I'm not, or Janus B. I don't even know. It's a 75,000 overnight stake. Sorry, I'm not familiar with the horse or the person it's named after. But um, five furlong sprints at Gulfstream. If you've been in closers, uh, you'll win one out of every 50 races. So you got to be careful there. So I'm going to have a caveat in this race. There are basically two speeds, it looks like, in this race. The three, Syaf, who I know very well from New York and I never liked, and the eight, the critical way. Um, Syaf, he just, he only wins, like, when he's alone on the lead, and even then he coughs it up. Maybe being a Gulfstream will help him, but he might not even have enough early speed to keep up with the, uh, with the eight early. So I, I don't like the, the, the three. The eight is the only horse that I'm not going to, like, you know, mentioned otherwise, it scares me. So they scares me a little bit because he has speed. I just don't think he's as good as the top two. I mean, this looks like a two-horse race. Uh, Imprimis, the four, and Extravagant Kid, the seven. They're both out of the Breeders' Cup. I assume one will be like four to five, maybe Imprimis or Even Money. And the other one will be uh, listed at six to five, maybe Extravagant Kid. And no one else, maybe Sayoff will get some love because it's Pletcher and Louis Saez and he's got speed and he's got a, a well-known name. But it looks like a two-horse race. And then we talked with Jason Beam about, you know, betting strategies a little bit. We didn't get into too much detail, but sure, on most podcasts, if they cover this race, and I don't think they're covering Friday, but they'll probably be like, oh, yeah, I'm using the four and the seven as a backup or something like that. And they bet both. And listen, if you want a winning ticket, go ahead, throw in the four, seven. You're going to get through this race almost definitely. Throw in the eight, then, and you're definitely getting through the race. Four, seven, eight, boom, you got it locked up. I just don't think that's very wise betting because, you know, how much are you going to make for your investment when you spread three deep this race? So, to me, unless you like someone else outside the four and seven, if those are the two, you got to pick one, in my opinion. 
Um, and I'm picking him Primus. I just think he's a better horse a little bit. But Extravagant Kid's a, a fine horse, too. Um, you know, last race in Primus and the Breeders. They both come out of the Breeders' Cup sprint, turf sprint. And in Primus had major trouble. I don't know if he was going to win or not, but he looked like he could win. And I think he might have won uh, that race. So cross out the 74 buyer he got. I mean, it, it could have easily been a 100 buyer. Extravagant Kid came in fourth by a length and got 100. And I think in Primus would have finished at least even with him, if not better. So um, they're very similar. Extravagant Kid had a three-wide trip that day, so he ran well too. I also think in Primus has a little more speed where Extravagant Kid is going to come from further back. So I'd give him Primus an edge there on this track. I'd rather be a little closer. So I'm going in Primus. Um, obviously, Extravagant Kid could win. And out of the other horses, the only one I would even give a look to is the critical way because I think he will be the speed of the race. And he's speed five furlongs at Gulfstream, where Sayoff is speed six, five and a half in New York. It's a little different. Um, I'm not saying Sayoff can't have the lead, and I kind of hope he goes. He's got Luis Saez, but um, you know, hopefully they get into him. But I'm just using the four in Primus here. So nothing clever for me. Anything? Yeah, definitely. The, 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 you have the two speed horses, and hopefully that, that'll be enough for Imprimis to uh, come, come off the pace. I, you know, uh, I don't know why the horse is coming back at this such a low level. It has, hasn't run in a non-graded stakes race in over a year and a half, um, almost two years. But I guess... Uh, Maybe it's a confidence builder after the debacle and the horrible trip that uh, he had in the Breeders' Cup uh, sprint. I, I really can't add anything more uh, to, to what you had already said, Eric. Yeah, and that's, that's a fear, I guess. You know, both him and Primus and the seven Striving Kid, you know, they geared up for this. This is not like a goal of theirs per se, but I just think they're the better horses. So, I mean, if you want to, like I said, take a chance on the critical way, wire in the field, but I would, I would think one of the other two we mentioned uh, two favorites win. All right, race 10. Uh, it just says stakes here. Oh, the cash run. It's funny the way they list it. Uh, one mile, one turn on the dirt at Gulfstream. And again, this is going to be a very thin ticket because I'm pretty chalky. I'm not going to spread a lot with a lot of chalk. And I wish I saw the morning lines for this, even though they're not that good there. I think I'm going to end up with the second choice, but I might have the favorite. And that's the two Gulf Coast. These are horses I really like. And I'm singling this horse, not only in this pick five, but this is part of the Stronach five. I will definitely be singling in the Stronach five. So basically, if Gulf Coast wins, you can uh, imagine I'll be happy, hopefully, hitting some pick five. If he loses, I will have a bad day because he will be in all, or she, I should say, will be on all my tickets and only horse on all my tickets in this race. Having said that, my luck the last few weeks, probably the horse will scratch because that's what he's been calling all my horses that I want a single scratch. So why do I like the horse? Well, first of all, First race in Indiana, who knows who he's running against. Got a 79 buyer, which is the best in the field, if that matters. Um, he closed like a monster. Now, I know it's partially who you're running against because I can look like a really, really good basketball player playing against a bunch of fifth graders. But if I play against some D1 college kids right now, I probably wouldn't look that good. Actually, who are we kidding? I'd hold my own, right? <laughs> that's what I tell my, my players, but no, I'm kidding. I would get destroyed. But again, against younger kids, I look really good. So did Gulf Coast look really good visually because of who he was running against or did he run that well? That close two back was like a thing of beauty. He just shot out in the stretch. 
Yeah, they ran pretty slow at the end. It was over 13 seconds there for the last uh, eighth. So that was part of it. But he ran really well. So, all right, fine. He didn't beat much. Comes back in a similar stakes at Tampa on December 5th, going six furlongs. In that race, it doesn't say this, but he had a slightly slow start and he was checked early. So he was a lot further back than he wanted to be, probably. He's not a horse who's going to come from the clouds, I don't think. He, hopefully he can if he needs to, but uh, you know, you're not betting like a deep closer here per se. Um, he has another cut off and oh, and he was four to five wide. So he got cut off early. He had a slow start before that. He had a four to five wide trip and it was a race where I thought the, the speed actually did okay. I got to go back because I didn't write that, but um, I think that's another reason I liked him. So, uh, and in that first race also Gulf Coast, why I liked him in Indiana, speed held. He was like the only closer. It was a merry-go-round. Everyone stayed in their position except he closed. So I really liked him going into the Tampa race, which I'm sure I didn't bet because I wasn't watching Tampa, but I would have liked him there. Came in second with significant trouble. Now he comes to Gulfstream. I don't know if it's a tougher field or not. I guess maybe, but not that much tougher. I, I really like this horse, though. My only fear is you're going to get a very short price with Irad, but I'm assuming he'll be about three to one morning line. I could be wrong. And I'm hoping to get about three to one. And that's fine with me because I think this horse, you know, value-wise, anything above seven to five to me is going to be value. I like the horse a lot. So that's what I like here. Um, I, I don't really have a second horse in here. Um, I, I don't even know where I'd go after that because, I mean, the one's fine. Uh, and the seven, eight, nine are all fine. But none of them stand out to me. None of them impress me that much. Uh, maybe the seven because there'll be a price, I would think take a shot but i'm just on the two so anyway your thoughts i kind of like in the the, the nine horse honorific honorific or honorific i what your name is i i just like the fact that the horse has improved its speed figures at least brisbane speed figures you know it hasn't been jumping leaps and bounds like some of these horses like gladys you know well, four to one in her uh, debut, never you know hit the gate. Not sure if that that killed her race, but you know goes from a fifty-three Brisnet to an eighty-two in the slop, uh, stretching out to a mile. I mean, Honorific has gradually almost increased her uh, speed figure, you know, four to six points each time. Took a little bit of time off to travel on down to spend the winter in South Florida. Uh, the work tab I like as far as uh, just uh, consistent uh, works uh, appears that this race was on the tab as far as uh, on the radar. And so um, I, I, I kind of like uh, the nine horse. Uh, it's interesting, Queen Otifa. Uh, is a, is one who ha is the most uh, experienced in facing uh, stiffer competition. Comes off that turf race that uh, maybe uh, she'll, she'll uh, bounce back uh, and uh, run a better race. But at the same time, uh, maybe turf is her thing. She you know she she won that off the turf race uh, where uh, the horse she beat came back. You know, you just don't know what, what types of what type what type of competition was left in, in that race. So I'm going to stick with the nine honorific as uh, my top pick, but I certainly wouldn't talk you off of your two horse golf coast. Yeah, 
And one thing Jason mentioned, really, you know, it's so hard early because value. If Gold Coast is three to one, I would be betting this horse. I would even bet win, but I'd be king him in bets, uh, you know, vertically maybe. If he's like four to five or six to five, it doesn't interest me that much. Um, unfortunately, I won't know that. Despite what the morning line is, I, was, I won't know that in the pick five um, or, or pick four or anything like that. So um, kind of taking a guess that he'll be, you know, at least some. I know he won't be much value because it's Irad and he appears to be one of the better ones. But hopefully I get a, a little bit uh, of a price, not like four to five. All right, let's move on to race 11 and, and kind of finish up here. Uh, this is a five furlong sprint. Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name here of the horse. So it's a small overnight stakes for 75,000. And again, I'm really singling it on one horse. I'm almost one horse every race. There's two who I think have a shot here. I mean, a lot have a shot, but two who I think are, are threats that um, I, depending on the price I, I might include. And that's the five spun glass and the seven uh, Dixie candy land. Um, you know, when I did this, I assumed we'd have the morning line. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen with the morning line here. I didn't give it too much thought because, like I said, I thought that it would be out already. Jakarta, I assume, will be the morning line favorite. And, and I'll speak very briefly about him. I, let's start with Jakarta. Jakarta last race, I remember tweeting out, I'm like, can anyone beat this horse this race? He just beat nothing last race. I'm not saying he's no good. Jakarta, or she, I keep calling him he. Uh, I'm not saying he's no good. But he beat nothing. He had a really good trip behind the two speeds in the race. Uh, I know Jakarta can be a good horse. I was against him when we did that uh, day in Canada. Uh, actually, you weren't here. That was the day I did the show with Doug McPherson. And um, we were both kind of against Jakarta, I think. I know I was. That was on the poly track or, or Tapita, so who knows. But I just think he's had easy leads as, like on the turf. The, the grade three a couple races ago, he had an easy lead. Last race, he had a, a perfect trip. He's outside, which I don't know if that matters or not. He could go. He can sit. He's versatile. He's got a good jockey. He'll probably get a good trip again, but I just don't know how great he is. And he's not getting, oh, she, she's not getting any better at age six. This is what she is. And I just think she's a little overrated and I could be wrong. So I prefer the five spun glass. Not if you want to call it my top pick at all, but um, I like spun glass a little bit. Two back. I, I like that race. It was uh, coming off of uh, not much of a layoff, a little bit of a layoff, but uh, hopped at the start. It says lost path at the start. This is uh, number five spun glass, the October 31st race at Woodbine. Hop at the start, uh, then which checked um, and was in a perfect spot after that, but still it was pretty bad. So even though the beginning, you know, perfect spot, who knows who she be? It was a, you know, first level allowance. Comes down to Gulfstream. All right, let's see how she does next level allowance. Uh, Save ground. Uh, had to wait some. And Lindsay's Lucky Ladies in this race had such an easy lead on such a speed favor and turf course there um, that I, I like this horse better than Lindsay's Lucky Lady because I don't think Lindsay's is going to get an easy lead again. Of course, if she does, she's better. But um, I, I thought Spun Glass ran okay uh, considering how to wait. I think if the horse had some room or, or went out, swung out early, that that horse might have won that race. And um, it wasn't major trouble, but it definitely affected. So the five is going to be tough. Has some speed where you don't have to worry about coming from the clouds. The seven, Dixie and Candyland. Um, you know, I kind of ignore the last uh, poly track race at, at um, Turfway. Uh, it's not really, not a synthetic course. Uh, I think that was only trying synthetic. Uh, the race on the turf, last race on the turf was two back October 11th uh, at Keeneland. That was a race I thought favored speed for the most part. There wasn't much closing in the race. And this horse made a nice little close. You know, dangerous taking a closer here. There appears to be some speed in this race. Uh, although it does always play out like that, but um, the seven definitely, I think, has a good shot here based on the fact that 
Her speed figure in that race was as good as anyone here, even just about the same as Jakarta. And she closed in a race that it was hard to close. And I think it might be a little easier here to close as long as she doesn't come from like 12 lengths back and only maybe like three or four lengths back, which I think she can. But my main pick who I'm going to single on or key on is the one Victory Kingdom. I don't know if I've been an Australia horse for a long time, but here it is. Um, Victory Kingdom, what do I like? Well, last race was on the tapete at Woodbine. So you can argue, you know, not a, you know, that was synthetic. This is turf. It's different, even though a lot of people say it plays similar. She was involved in a three-way speed duel last time with an eight-to-one shot and a nine-to-two shot who both faded and finished last and second to last. I love when horses duel especially when the horses they duel with fade worse than them. I, I just, I mean, it's set up for closers. I just loved her last race. If this was on the tapete at Woodbine, I'd be all over her probably. Amalfi Costa beat her is a very good horse who consistently gets 90 plus buyers, 95 buyers. So she beat a legitimate, or didn't beat, but she ran against legitimate horses and a legitimate horse there. The horse is only one for 11 on the turf, but it's over in Australia. I don't know what, you know, in Australia, what she's running against. I mean, one was, a, I guess they call it a group race over there, not a graded race, but group three where she didn't do anything, it looks like. Um, but she was second in a group two at one point, third in a group three going way back. I mean, that was last year. But my point is, based on that last race and the fact that she's run okay on the turf, I'm assuming she's going to be similar on turf that she was on Tapita, maybe a wrong assumption. She's got speed where she can go to the lead, but she's run longer, and I think she should be able to sit uh, off the lead and, and shortening up from six and a half to five. I think she'll sit a little off the pace, hopefully save ground under Julien Leperu and uh, kind of swing out later, however she does it. But I, I really like Victory Kingdom here. You know, my only thing again is the surface switch. So who knows? But based on her last race, I, I love her. Um, I, I just hope she takes to the turf, which I think she will. So I'm on the one with the five, seven and depending on the value, I'll be betting those horses in the race vertically. And in the pick five, I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, I'll use all three because it's so cheap to use the one five seven, but I'm going to really hammer home the one on my main bet. Okay, so um, any any final thoughts or thoughts at all on this race before we wrap it up? Yeah, this, this looks like it sets up to be one of those races where you're like, oh, there's tons of speed in here. You know, it sets up for a closer, and you're going to break, and <laughs> some horse is going to go out on top by two, and nobody Probably. challenges them. <laughs> and that, that's what to pull your hair out every time. Uh, not that I'm endorsing this horse, but I was looking at the 10. It's deplorable. She ran in this race last year, or actually two years ago. That's how that's how often or yeah, that's how often she takes vacations. Um, she ran in this race no, no, 65 to 1 and ran, ran to her odds. But uh, it's interesting that whenever she does come off the bench, she really doesn't show much. And then whenever she does come, come back for her next effort, it's much better, uh, whether it's the competition or just uh, takes her a while to, to get in gear. But uh, I give her a look. I would think she's going to be 21 or more um, in, in this uh position. So Corey Lannery staying on the horse. Uh, you know, there's already been a few that, that Peter Spunglass was in that uh, race or comeback race. So uh, if you're looking for a price, possibly Mr. Plorable, but uh, 
this is one that it's like, oh my God. And you, you know, you can see people spreading in here if you don't like Jakarta. Uh, I, I just think it's ironic. You look at Jakarta's past performances, and it's like she breaks on top. She and you know, she's a front runner. So here, Louis Saez gets on her. She's 80 cents on a dollar, and she breaks last. And she comes off the pace to win. Like you said, who did she beat? You know, um, but uh, it, it, it's one of those races where it's a good one. If you can find one you really like, just single that one instead of spreading because I think everybody else will spread as well. Yeah, and Jason talked about that, kind of doing the opposite of what people think. So, um, which I'm definitely doing there. I'm, I'm narrowing down a lot. So to recap, like a pick five here, um, in race seven, I'm actually going to spread and uh, I know people get angry and I'm glad this thing come up when Jason was on because he's against the all button. But for my base ticket, it's going to be an all in the first. Um, so I'm going to use all six, but you'll see, I'm going to narrow it down a lot. Uh, in race eight, I'm going to use the five, six, seven. So that's three horses there. In race nine, I'm going to use the four. And I might, depending on the, the, the value of my ticket, I might, for having a 50 cents on him, throw in the eight, who's going to be, I think, the speed of the race there. So four, eight in race nine. But um, if you don't want to spread, which I don't blame you, uh, I, I would key on the four. Um, the race 10, the two, who I like a lot, I told you with Irad, is the only horse I'm using. And then race 11, I'm going one and five, seven, but I'm going to key on the one. So for 50 cents, I may have a ticket all by... Five six seven by four eight by two by I'm sorry I screwed up I started reading the numbers <laughs> all by three horses by two horses by one by three so if I do the math six times three is eighteen times uh, three is fifty four dollars so um, if I even spread that much I don't even know if I'm doing that fifty four dollars can be the maximum I spend on a fifty cent base ticket having said that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to key on the five and even the four in the first race, even though I said, you know, some things against the four, I think the four and five are the two standouts in that first race, especially if that one in race seven takes money. So I'm going to key four, five in race eight. I'm going to keep spread with the five, six, seven in race nine. I'm just going to use the four in race 10, the, the two and race 11, the one. So I'm singling the last three races, starting race nine, four, and then two, and then one with that bet. So if I go, two by three and then all once that's three dollars for 50 cents and i'll bet that i don't know maybe 10 20 times because 10 times would be 30 bucks so maybe i'll do that um for 50 cents so if i bet ten dollars actually it will come out to sixty dollars so i'll probably do something like that uh either five to ten dollars but i'm leaning towards a higher amount and if i hit it it won't pay much i don't think the ticket unless i can sneak that five in race eight but i'll have it several times so that's where i'm going to kind of hammer home my pick five uh, ticket there. So I would not spread much, even that $54 ticket, I'm a little reluctant to do, but at least I have uh, a price or two in there, but still not the, the smartest thing to spread too much. And again, I'm going to look at the morning lines and kind of, I have to think about what I think the price will be like in that last race. So I think the five and seven in race 11 are going to be the two favorites or, or other than Jakarta. I, I might not even use all of them and I might just go with the one, but definitely more on the one. So I, I know you probably didn't have time to put together a pick five ticket, but um, I do want to do the bet of the week with you, if that's uh, if you're up for it. Sure, go ahead. Let me hear what you got. All right, so I'm just going to. Uh, I probably should have had this open already, but I just want to go to the bets challenge. 
GQ, uh, last week, you bet 20 to win on a seven horse in race nine at Gulfstream. Now, again, this is unfair for you, and I feel bad, but it's happened to me too. Um, the horse ended up going off about seven, five, eight, five. I mentioned it with Jason there. I don't know if we were on the air, actually. It might have been before, but I think it was on the air. Um, so 20 to win on the seven. He ended up going off seven to five and did not win, unfortunately. But your other horse you had mentioned and you even liked was six to one or eight to one. He went off and he won the race. So that really sucked because if you were allowed to pick right before the race, I would hope you would have picked the the other horse. Maybe we should have a caveat where you can uh, tweet it out beforehand and as long as it's on Twitter. But, um, you know, it's tough for the people out there. So, was, you know, like Jason it was definitely, says, it was yeah, definitely yeah. a stanza moment. Every decision I've ever made in my life has been wrong. Well, do the opposite. Do the opposite like George. It worked out. It. Anyway, my, my pick for like the 20th uh, week out of the last 22 scratched. Uh, I had a pick three and I got scratched out of it, which I think saved me money because I think I lost the other legs. But with uh, with my single scratching, it didn't matter. Um, so actually, you know, what's funny. My pick three starting in race nine last week. The first race I had three, eight life in shambles lost by a nostril. I was um, at five to one or four to one or nine to two, maybe. Uh, I was scratched on my single in race 10. And then the last race, I used three horses, the 5, 10, 12. Donji was the five, and he came in. So um, if the six were to run and won that middle leg, I would have lost that bet by a nose. <laughs> and it would have been a heck of a lot of money. But anyway, um, without further ado, I'm going to do a $40 double this week. I keep it simple, but it's a bet I will also um, definitely be making. Well, I should say definitely, because if both horses are like eight to five, I'm not doing it. But I don't think that'll be the case. I'm going to go race 10 double. $40 to Gulf Coast. And in the last race, I'm going to use the one, the Australian horse whose name slips my mind. So I'm going $40 double in race 10 to one. Your bet of the week. My bet of the week. And I'm oh, plus God. 164, by the way, still. So I'm plus 164. If I lose this, I'll be plus 124. All right. I'm, I'm torn between a win bet on two different horses and two different races. So I'll, I'll definitely probably wind up picking the horse that has the lower morning line or the lower uh, going off the race. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm between in the 10th race, the, the, the nine horse on a Rafik, um, or in the eighth race, the seven horse breakbeat. I'm leaning toward breakbeat, but I just don't, quite understand why they would expose this horse to be claimed for $35,000. I think the horse has looks to have a so, bright future. Can I ask you Go a question? Ahead. Just, you know, we talked about betting sure. and strategy. So, so let me ask, I know we don't have morning lines, but I'm assuming that horse is going to be shorter than three to one or at most three to one, seven to two. And I'm, I'm guessing even five to two, something like that, if not shorter. So if you have a little bit of question about a horse, why would you, and I'm not trying to be condescending at all, please. Yeah, but just right. no, no, no. Why would you even contemplate betting that horse if you're like, eh, he's a short price and, you know, if you can get in five, six to one, I can understand, but, you know, and, and we don't know what you're going to get, but, um, sure. you know, I, I no, just think I, that's I, wise. Okay. All right. So I'll, I'll agree with your um, advice there. So <laughs> I'll go back. And uh, figuring the nine horse will probably be the fourth choice, possibly. No, no, no. Shorter than that. That's another short horse you're picking. That could be the favorite or second choice. No worse than second choice. Uh, I, I thought maybe the, the one and the two would be uh, the top two choices. No? Uh, it's going to be close. I, I don't think the nine. Three to one, and... 
I don't think you're going to get three to one on your horse. Not, not. No, I don't either. I don't either. Um, I'm hoping the one takes money, but the one's coming out of state bread, uh, maiden, and then a, a state bread, um, you know, steaks. All right. How are, how are the ones buyers compared to the other ones in this race? The, there's the, the one, two and nine are similar, um, in their buyers. The nine got a 74 last out. The one got a 75 and the two only got a 69, but I thought there was a lot of trouble there. And he got a 79 his first out. So I, I think sharp betters are going to bet the two. I, maybe I'm just overestimating my right. own knowledge. I think they're going to end up betting him and he's going to end up being the favorite, unfortunately. Um, but I think the nine will be second choice and the one will be a very close. Those three will take money, though. I think anyone else will be a price. I, I think it'll be a three horse uh, race as far as the betting goes. But my point is, you're not going to get more than maybe seven and two on the nine. I don't think that much, but I don't think you'll get more than that. Four to one. Um, and if you're okay with that, that's great. I just don't even think you'll get that much. So um, is that what you well, want to do, though? I don't want to talk you off of anything, which I already did. Uh, last, last week, 7-2 turned into 8-5. to five, so. uh, No, I, the reason why I think the one's going to take money, or at least will be a short price, because both of his, her races, she has the top two speed figures of everybody in this race. I mean, barely over the two-class race, but um, for that reason, I, I thought maybe the one would be the morning line favorite, even though it's coming out of state state bread. Yeah, you might be right. Um, I can see any uh, of the three. Yeah. Uh, uh, what the hell? Every, you know, Irad and, and Jose, Jose, they're going to attract more money than uh, some second-rate <laughs> job like Gaffleyone, right? So... Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll go with a twenty dollar win on the nine. All right, so I'm putting it in race 10, 20 to win on the nine. Oh, all right, you're not following my advice, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't. I just sound like I know everything. I really don't. Um, <laughs> I pretend. But, but, but which one you win on a horse that I think might run third? I, you know what, I'm not, well, first of all, listen, it's, it's hard to put 20 to win on a horse three days out. And I realize, so I, I, I sympathize with you because you don't know the odds and that's going to affect it. I would have to just guess, but I wouldn't want to put 21, 21 on a horse who's under like four to one, unless I thought I was getting great value. So if I thought the horse should be six, like the two, I honestly think is like even money. That's how much I strongly, I feel about the two that he's the best horse or she's the best horse in this field. So when I get eight to five or nine to five, I'm okay with that. I wouldn't necessarily bet win because how much am I going to bet to get that? Try and spend that money on a double or something else like I am. But right. it, it is, you know, it, it's just tough to bet short prices to win in, in my opinion. But, you know, if you get 72, that might be value on the horse who buyer wise is as good as anyone else, but I guess we'll find out. So, uh, so you got your bet in my bet is at double $40 uh, race 10 two one double for 40 bucks. All right, and um, that wraps a long show. We're glad that Jason stays along with us, and uh, we try to do the handicapping quickly. Uh, before I pass it over to you to close it out, just want to wish everyone a happy new year. I don't know if you're listening to this before or after, but either way, hope you enjoy New Year's Eve. Be safe. Have a great new year, and I'm looking forward to speaking to everyone next year. Uh, we have a great guest coming up the first week in uh, January, which we'll, uh, we'll talk about, I guess, on Twitter maybe earlier in the week. We'll tease it. Final thoughts on 2020, GQ, to send us home. Oh, 2020 was uh, interesting. Let's just say that, you know, um, the whole Triple Crown and, and the, the entire world was turned upside down. And 
surprisingly, I actually wound up taking a trip to Oaklawn pre-pandemic uh, in February. So that that's nice. the one positive thing. Uh, the negative thing was everything else that followed. So uh, <laughs> who knows what 2021, I just fear that everyone's going to say, thank God 2020 is over. Let's party hardy and get back to normal in 2021. And we'll find ourselves uh, trying to catch up with all the vaccines coming out that hopefully will uh, bring some uh, normalcy back. So I don't know. I mean, Kentucky Derby is only, in reality, four months away, you know, first Saturday in May. Is that going to happen with fans? We'll see. Hopefully. <laughs> All right. Well, Happy New Year to you, Eric. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thanks for uh, getting Jason on, and uh, look forward to next week. All right. Take care, everyone. Happy New Year. Bye-bye.